0: Well, who has ever seen uh, Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> okay, I'll will save the the second question was was who likes it, um, and and uh, don't incriminate yourself. <laughs> uh, okay, so so here's uh, here's what happened with us. We were watching recently. Uh, I, I I don't. It was just. It must. It may have been just the night that we were watching. We watched a little bit of it. And I couldn't take it, and 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 Amy couldn't take it either. And it wasn't because of the content of the show per se, um, or the idea of the show. It was it was uh, performer after performer after performer exuding this incredible self confidence, this incredible. Um, it was in the interviews, wasn't, well, and it, you could see it in the performance too. But in the interviews, just, they, there was just such a love and such a confidence and su- such such a, a sense of, like, I still got it and, I, and I'm still going to show it and you're going to see it and it's going to be good and, and I can do this and we're going to do this and look at me. And I, I, I saw it happen, you know, with about three or four performers in a row, and I thought, man, I, I just can't take it because it it's so foolish. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know if you've 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 probably met you've probably met this type of person who is who is uh, what Brian Regan calls the me monster. If you've never seen uh, Brian Regan and the me monster, you can look it up on. Uh, you know youtube or whatever and if you're anything like our marriage study you won't laugh at it and uh (laughs) and uh but but um it it's not because it's not funny it's because nobody got the humor as 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 much as i had hoped that they would but but the point is the me monster the look at me attitude and you've probably seen this the, the 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 person who is is um just exuding this this sense of of just self, and they want you to see, and it's it's so it's so foolish, it's so ugly. But you know what? They don't see it, they don't perceive it. And You know why? Because there's all kinds of fuel behind that fire saying, this is a good thing. It's a good thing to be all about me. We've talked about this before. High, high levels of self-esteem and self-confidence just pouring out. And it's so unattractive if you have eyes
1: to see it. Well... It also happens um,
0: in the way that we treat the gospel sometimes. The gospel becomes a a, a means of perhaps attaining your best life now, in the words of one famous author. Um, In some of the emergent church movement, the gospel is, uh, well, maybe it's even difficult to tell what the gospel is. I had one teacher who said, he sat down with a, a couple of emergent church leaders, and he just he just was trying to say, do you believe in the substitutionary atonement of Christ? That Jesus bore the wrath of God on behalf of sinners. And he said it took seven minutes to, to, to get just the, the, the affirmation, yes, I believe that that's true. He said it was like trying to nail jello to the wall. It was so hard to just get them to affirm, Well, I think that's what is happening in Corinth. Something like that. And um, Paul calls it the wisdom of the world. We've got a hum back here. Is somebody working on that? Um, The wisdom of the world... So I want to look at 1 Corinthians and I want to see what Paul's, what Paul's doing here. I want to help us understand
1: how, um,
0: what Paul thinks about the wisdom of the world. How the wisdom of the world relates to the gospel. And let me just give you this sermon in a nutshell. So if you're taking notes, this is the nutshell of this sermon. The gospel must be foolish in order to judge wisdom and in order to dispense God's power for salvation. Thank you. The gospel must be foolish in order to dispense wisdom. I'm sorry. The gospel must be foolish in order to judge wisdom, and in order to dispense God's power for salvation. So here, let me set up the argument. We're picking up where Paul left off last week in verse... 17. Verse 17 is the end of a paragraph. It's the first paragraph of the uh, main body of this letter. Verse 17, Paul is making a transition into the subject matter that he's going to now talk about for the next three chapters or so.
1: So here's what Paul says at the end of this paragraph in verse 17. He says, Christ
0: did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the gospel of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul says, God did not send me, Christ did not send me to preach an eloquent wisdom gospel.
1: This this probably refers to at least two things. When Paul talks about this eloquent wisdom gospel...
0: That he didn't preach. He's talking about two things. He's talking, one, about the content of what he preached. And two, he's talking about the manner in which he presented the content. He just bundles it together, calls it eloquent wisdom. We will talk about the manner of presentation. or He will talk about the manner of presentation a little bit later. um, Towards the end of the chapter, beginning of the next chapter. What we're going to talk about today is the content. The content of this eloquent wisdom gospel, or why Paul couldn't preach an eloquent wisdom gospel. It was contrary to the content that he had to preach. And he had to preach a certain kind of content. Because if he didn't, the second half of verse 17, the cross of Christ would be emptied of its power. If Paul doesn't maintain a
1: certain type of content, the cross of Christ is emptied of its power. And specifically, it had to be content void of wisdom.
0: Wisdom. This is probably important to put quotes around it. It had to be void of wisdom so that the cross of Christ would not be emptied of its power. Verses 18 to 25 now, back that up. He's going to explain the content and why it must be void of wisdom so that the cross's power can be maintained. Wisdom. Let's see here. There we go. Okay, introducing wisdom. This is a huge concept, especially right here. Up through, in verses 17 to 25, the word comes up ten times. Just hammering it. Wisdom, 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 wisdom. And Paul's going to criticize a certain kind of wisdom. And So let me just start off by asking this question. Do you think Paul is criticizing intelligence? thinking? Studying, learning, ideas. Is it just a raw criticism of intellect? Some people think that's what's, what Paul's doing here. I don't, th- I don't think that's at all what Paul is doing here. And let me show you why. Um, he uses this word wisdom several different ways that I think actually help us kind of zero in on what he's talking about. And um, I'll start off with this verse. Um, this will kind of set the stage and then you'll see that why I put this up here verse 20 he says where is the one who is wise where is the scribe where is the debater of this age the debater of this age this age this is how else Paul talks about it and more specifically he's going to tie some definition to the word wisdom verse 20 has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world it's a wisdom of the world Okay? Verse 26. Some people are wise or want to be wise or trying to be wise according to worldly standards. That's helpful. There's a wisdom of the world. It's a wisdom that is uh, maintained according to worldly standards. Here's how else he uses it in chapter 2, verse 5. It's the wisdom of men. And then he also, in chapter 2, verse 6, the wisdom of this age. Is that it? Uh, Chapter 2, verse 13, human wisdom. So he gives us some definition. Wisdom of the world, wise according to worldly standards, wisdom of men, wisdom of this age, human wisdom. So no, I don't think Paul is criticizing the faculty of the mind per se. What he's criticizing is a certain attitude that lies behind a particular misuse of the mind. He's criticizing faulty assumptions that hijack the brain, hijack the mind, and employ it in service of those faulty assumptions. It's a fundamental presuppositional error that lies underneath this problem. A faulty worldview that fuels a distorted exercise of the intellect and the fundamental error the faulty assumption the defective attitude the contaminated worldview is this this is what's underneath human wisdom wisdom of this age wisdom of men worldly standards etc mankind has the inherent natural mental ability to observe And calculate and penetrate and perceive and judge with insight what is true and good and beautiful and transcendent with regards to divine mysteries. At root... The wisdom of men, the wisdom of this age is a proud and self-exalting mentality with a high esteem for what men can do, what people can do and accomplish with their own wits, with their own common sense, especially with regards to understanding God. So maybe you've heard people say, or maybe you've even said yourself something like, uh, I just don't, don't understand how a good God allow this to happen I just don't understand it I, I can't understand why there has to only be one way it doesn't make sense to me I think about the world what I know about the world I just don't understand why it has to be that way I can't understand why so many people who haven't even had the opportunity to hear the gospel would be excluded from eternal life I don't understand that I can't understand how the church who has done so much harm in history could be God's chosen people. It doesn't make sense. I can't understand why God would would be this way or do that. I mean, you name it. God seems to be in the business of doing things that we don't understand, that don't make sense to us. And the reason that people can't understand these things is because these things do not fit within the parameters of what the human mind can understand in its natural state of existence. Until God breaks into our world and does a mind-opening miracle in us, the human intellect is simply incapable of recognizing the ultraviolet rays of the knowledge of God incapable. The natural mind is limited in its perceptive abilities. It can only discover within the boundaries of this present perishing age, of this world, the wisdom of this world. It's a worldly wisdom. It's the wisdom of this age. It's trapped inside, here. And it can't perceive the realities of the age to come. It's blind to those things. doesn't mean they're not there, but we can't see them. Those realities can only be seen by those who have been given the capital S spirit of the age to come. The realities that belong to the age to come can only be seen by people who have been born of the spirit. Right? Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, if you have not been born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Can't even see it. It's like telling a blind man to watch the sunset. Is that great? What great? Imperceptive. If that Spirit lives in you." He's not bypassing your mind. He's not saying, shut your brain off, stop thinking. He's simply progressively, progressively, step by step, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit more, progressively allowing your mind to see things, to understand things that you couldn't see before. He's broadened your field of view so that you can see things on the spectrum of reality that you never even knew existed. Jonathan Edwards talks about this as the giving of a new sense. As though, as though, uh, he talks about it as though your whole life, all you've ever been able to do is, is touch honey and see honey and then God gives you the sense of taste. And now you can perceive things that are there in a way that you had absolutely no ability to grasp before. Because you've been given a new sense. God does something similar with the mind. And as so long as we look at God and his gospel within the framework of the natural state, a natural mind, worldly wisdom, he will appear nonsensical to us because we're viewing him through the lens of the wisdom of this world. He will appear like total nonsense to us. And so often we are tempted to try and force God to be something other than who he is because we want him to fit into the categories of this age. Now I'm really thankful this has been a privilege to be at New Hope Fellowship because I feel like we talk about the Bible and people are like tell me more tell me more what's what's the Bible say about this what's the Bible say about that that's the way to think that's the way to gain perspective and as you do that you will run into things that do not make sense because the God of the Bible is going to break the boundaries of the present age it's been a joy to shepherd this church body, we were just praying for it this morning and thanking God for the the hunger for the word of God in this church body. And so, it's so important to maintain that mm, trajectory and that source of input. Because a lot of times, I mean, and I I see this in the church, I talk to people, I've, I've been this way at times, and I'm sure all of us have, where we want God, we want a God who looks more like Oprah than like Paul, who's talking about submission to authority, and he's talking about discipline, and he's talking about laying down your rights and wrath. We want a God who's politically correct, we don't, want it, we don't want a God who's saying that self-esteem is pride. Or it says to a, a young woman or to a young man, save your heart and your body for one person of the opposite sex. The categories of this world, when they run into that kind of thinking... You say, no, 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 give me me Oprah. (laughs) She's a lot more compassionate. When you're thinking through the lens of the wisdom of the world, you're probably exactly right. So no, Paul is not criticizing thinking in general. He's heavily criticizing a certain kind of thinking that assumes that God can be accurately understood purely through mankind's natural perspective. A mentality that views God according to a merely human standard, according to what makes sense to natural humanity. A humanity, of course, as we've said, that's that's blind, imperceptive. And this so-called wisdom is what Paul is criticizing and it's the very thing that he absolutely had to avoid in his preaching of the gospel. That's the wisdom that he has to avoid in his preaching of the gospel. He had to avoid a preaching of a gospel that made sense to the so-called wise people of this world. He had to preach a gospel in such a way that the world would look at it with its wisdom and say, I don't get it doesn't make sense to me according to what I understand of the world. And the reason he had to do that is because there is no such thing as a gospel of Jesus Christ that makes sense to this dying, decaying, perishing world and its man-centered philosophies of who God is and how God must run the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. My gospel is folly to those who are perishing. There's no such thing as a gospel that's not. There's no such thing as a true gospel that's not folly. So if you are faithful to communicate the word of the cross, the message of the gospel, then the world, those who, those who still belong to this perishing age, will think that your message is crazy, madness, folly, it won't compute with them. It'll sound barbaric, and judgmental, and harsh, unloving. I—I I, I, I know a woman, knew a woman who she passed away. Uh, I think within the last five years. And this was uh, somebody that our, our family knew. And at her funeral, they sang "Amazing Grace." Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. And they changed one word in that first line. This woman didn't know the Lord. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a soul like me. Doesn't that just sound better? Not that saved a wretch like me, that saved a soul like me. They intentionally changed the word. Why? Why? Because it doesn't make sense to call us wretches. I mean, who wants to be called a wretch? It just, it, it takes away the edge, and it just sounds better. It sounds better if your lens is the lens of the world. I'll tell you why it's a major problem a little bit later. So why is God doing it this way? Why is God uh, doing it through a foolish gospel? And there are two reasons. We uh, uh, there, there are two reasons that we get to here. The ultimate answer doesn't come till the end of chapter one. But two reasons in, in this passage, verses eighteen through twenty-five, that Paul gives for why this gospel must be foolish. And the first reason is this: the preaching of the foolish gospel is God's means of judging the wisdom of the world. This is God's means of bringing about a judgment of the wisdom of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, all quotes from Isaiah chapter 29. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart in Isaiah. Anytime let me just kind of side note real quick. Anytime you see uh something like this, quotation from the Old Testament, you should jump back to the Old Testament. And read it. In fact, read read like a big sec, chunk of section before it and a big chunk afterwards. Try to understand what's going on in the Old Testament, and then come back to the New Testament. And um sometimes it will just be like, whoa. This, that's insightful. And sometimes you'll be like, oh, that's really confusing. <laughs> and um, and we, can, we can perhaps over the years kind of help pull some pieces together and make some sense out of those things that appear confusing at first. But in this passage, you go back there, and what God is promising to do is He is promising that He is going to restore His people. He's going to restore His people, and when He does, He's going to do something wonderful. And when he does, he's going to bring a judgment. He's going to judge the wise. When God restores his people, he's going to judge the wise. And Paul quotes from that. And essentially, it appears that what Paul is saying here is that when the proclamation of the cross takes place, it's actually executing a judgment on wisdom. It destroys the wisdom of this age. It brings it to nothing. It thwarts it by showing that it's ultimately powerless and blind. And here's how it works. The gospel is preached, and the so-called wisdom of the world is suddenly turned into foolishness. Verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world God turns the wisdom of the world into foolishness it's a judgment it's a judgment on fool uh, on wisdom okay how does it happen? how does God turn the wisdom of the world into foolishness? Three steps three steps I think you can see all three steps in verse twenty one. He says, for since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. The first step in God's judgment of wisdom is God prevents the world from knowing him through wisdom. It's ultimately rendered powerless in the search for knowing God. It comes up empty-handed. God is undetected in the end. You'll notice that this is exactly how God has in, has designed it. He's intended it for be this to be this way because it says, "For since in verse twenty one, since in the wisdom of God, it was in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God made it this way. Doesn't want this world to use its wisdom to know God. He's designed it that way. So that's the first step in judging wisdom. The second step." in judging wisdom is that God makes himself appear to be foolish to the wise. Verse 21, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach. So step one, God says, you're not going to know me through your wisdom. Step two is, in fact, when you look at me, You will mistaken, you will mistakenly think that I'm foolish. This is the second step in God's judgment of wisdom. The wise of this world are saying, you've come to talk to us about God, the Almighty God, the highly exalted Creator of all things, the all-wise mind behind the universe, the one who parts the seas and speaks mountains into place. The one who orders history and causes nations to rise and fall. This is the God that you've come to speak to us about. He's the one who has the power of life and death, right? Speak to us and tell us of His miraculous power. Tell us about His wisdom. Tell us about His secret ways, His coming kingdom, His anointed Messiah, the Son of David, who will reign in power over the nations and set the world straight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, this is the God that you're talking to us about. Show us some evidence of His power. Show us some evidence of His wisdom. He ought to be pretty freaking awesome.
1: And Paul says... But we preach a crucified Messiah. First Corinthians:
0: 123, We preach Christ crucified. He's a stumbling block to the Jews, and he is folly to the Gentiles. We preach Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah anointed one, we preach that the anointed one, the Davidic king, the one that Israel has been waiting for, the one on whom God's favor rests, the one on whom the salvation of the world rests, we preach a crucified Messiah, crucified, murdered, shamed, hung before the world, spit upon, beard ripped out, backlashed, crucified Messiah. There is nothing respectable about a crucified Messiah. Not to the Jews and not to the Greeks, but they demand instead wisdom and signs.
1: And it makes sense, doesn't it? If you're viewing it from what we would expect if we were designing this thing. The second step in God's judgment of wisdom, is that when He reveals Himself, He makes Himself look stupid in their eyes. That's what they think of Him. The third step is that He uses that foolish message as the very means by which He brings salvation verse 21 it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe and verse 24 those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God now this is the final step in the judgment It's ultimately what proves that wisdom, wisdom of the world, is actually foolishness. It it seemed like wisdom, it seemed like wisdom, it seemed like wisdom, until
0: God saved people through that foolish message, and in an instant, wisdom was transformed into foolishness god takes what looked like foolishness and he somehow shows it to be what's truly awesome so here's a good illustration of this kind of reality from biblical history you have mr noah for 100 years building a gigantic boat it's it's like the equivalent of the homeschool family who's building the spaceship in their backyard, you know?
1: Like I can say that we're homeschool family, like total weirdo. And in an instant, what looked so foolish becomes so wise because it starts to rain. Everybody's
0: looking at this guy thinking, "What a total freak and in an instant wisdom is true wisdom
1: is revealed and false wisdom is turned on its head the tables are turned and true wisdom is revealed so the judgment of wisdom step one you're not going to know me through your wisdom step two in fact if you use your wisdom as the criteria for knowing me, I will look foolish to you. And step three, and then I will save people. And the wise are actually blind and dead wrong in their assessment of Christ. God turns the tables on the wise. And he has thereby destroyed wisdom. That's how He destroys them through the preaching of the gospel. That's the first reason why the gospel must retain its foolish appearance because God is judging wisdom through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel. So hold on to that thought. Notice this also. This is the second reason why the gospel
0: has to maintain its foolishness. The second reason is that God has
1: simultaneously done something else. we just mentioned it in His judgment of the wise.
0: He has simultaneously made this foolish message, the means by which he exercises his own wisdom and his own power it's not only the foolish
1: message is not only judging, it's also doing something powerful. He uses it to to save. First Corinthians 1:21. Go go with go to to that again. Just lay your eyes
0: on it. Verse 21. It pleased God through the
1: folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So let me turn. Let me return to this amazing grace story. Amazing grace, sweet the
0: sound that saved a wretch like me pull out wretch, stick in soul, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a soul like me. And yes, it it just sounds better. It takes away the edge, but you know what else it takes away?
1: It takes away grace. And it takes away anything that's amazing about it.
0: There's nothing strange to the world to say, hey, God is so good that He would that He would save a soul like me. There's something amazing about the fact that God would save a wretch. The the the, the save a soul like me is and just hear me hear me here. I'm not um, I'm not saying like okay that's you know that's a heretic that's a heretical song. All I'm saying is that the mentality behind that kind of switch is a mentality that says I don't call me a wretch. Call me a soul. I don't want to be a wretch. But brothers and sisters, if you will not be a wretch, the Gospel will not be amazing to you. If you will not be a wretch, then there is no such thing as grace.
1: The grace of God is that He saves wretches. That's what's so amazing about it. And If we let that go, we have let the Gospel go. Your
0: Gospel must be foolish. Verse 18, to us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. It's the exact same message that looks foolish to some that is power for us. You can't have a powerful gospel if it's not foolish in the eyes of the world. Don't be fooled into thinking. We can't be fooled into thinking. Don't let your fool, your, your friends Don't let your fools, don't let your friends, don't let your kids be tricked into thinking that the gospel can somehow be made palatable to this age. It never will. You can never sweeten it enough. People will always gag on it. It has to be that way because that's how it saves. And you know that if you know that you're a wretch like me. You know you need Jesus to save wretches. Because
1: deep in your heart, you know that's who you are. So don't sweeten that gospel thinking that people will be saved when you do it. Because you're not sweetening it. You're pulling the sweetness out of it. This is the great sin of the Corinthian church right here. They want a God
0: that they can make sense of. A God who will conform to their self-oriented and worldly
1: ideas of who a God should be. That's their sin. They want a God in their own image. And so they're they're distancing themselves from Paul and from Paul's gospel. They're buying into the wisdom of the
0: world. They're just being being pulled into the Corinthian culture, the self-exalting culture, and Paul is just becoming more and more distasteful. And he's doing two things. He's saying, look, it has to be a folly gospel. That's how God judges wisdom. Implication? So don't follow wisdom, guys. That's his exhortation to the Corinthian church. Don't follow that. You're being drawn in by it and you're pushing me away. God judged wisdom. Don't follow it.
1: And the second thing he's doing is saying, this foolish gospel is what saves. Cling to it. You're pushing him away. If it's not clear enough to be foolish, then it's not clear enough to save. If it's not folly, then it's not powerful for salvation. And as we might expect, Paul's closing thought draws our eyes upwards onto God
0: in a simple affirmation of God's supremacy
1: over mankind. Verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. This foolish gospel with this weak Messiah. Mm. Watch out if you think that. Because there's wisdom and strength there. And you just can't see it. So this is where um, we're headed next week. It's a question of who gets glory here. The supremacy of God here. God is wiser than men. This design was wiser. Next week we'll see that
0: behind all this folly lies a God who is systematically
1: removing every ground for human boasting. And this is where Paul is ultimately heading here. Um, Like I said, New Hope Fellowship, I'm really encouraged. In the last few months that I've been here, this church is taking the wisdom of the world and saying, Pastor, what does the scripture say about this? This is what the scripture says. Oh, oh. And, and then you step towards it. And then together we kind of look at the wisdom of the world and we go, yeah, I mean, it
0: makes sense. that I can understand why it would be this way. But that's not what the scripture says, is it?
1: No, it doesn't.
0: You know what happens? The more you step in this direction, the more that you come under the scriptures, guess what happens? It starts to make more sense. Because your mind is being transformed. Do not be conformed
1: to this world. Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? Right here. This is is why your Bible is so important for you. Memorize it. Memorize
0: scripture. Meditate on scripture. Think about scripture. When you run into stuff that you don't like, and you will, you're going to run into stuff in this book that doesn't make sense to this brain, and your heart is not going to like it, and you're going to want to be like, you're going to want to do what the Corinthians are doing
1: to Paul. When When you feel that, tell self, no. This is where I stand. And I'm real encouraged because I came
0: into a church. I didn't know what where this church was going to be on this kind of stuff. But the more time I spend with you
1: guys, the more I feel like this church loves the Bible. And this is the path to life. So, if you will,
0: please bow your heads with me and pause for a moment in simple
1: wonder of what God has done in his wisdom No words to
0: describe, Father, the wisdom of a God who can fly under the radar of everything that this world in its collective intelligence values and expects in a deity, and through the simple message of a crucified Messiah, exercise a power that is so persuasive that it has caused millions upon millions of men and women and children to surrender their lives in humble devotion. And worship of your majesty. You are wise beyond all compare. Who has known the mind of the Lord and who can be his counselor? How dare we! And who has ever been your counselor? It all comes from you, it's all sustained through you, and it's all to your glory. Your wise wise mind, your wise plan, your wisdom exceeds anything that we can concoct, anything that we would devise. That's why the gospel is so strange to us. We would never do it this way. And I think it only evidences that it's not from us. This is no plan of mankind that God would die to save wretches. And so we praise you for your wisdom and we praise you for the power of the gospel, which is made plain, it is taught and embraced and shared with faithfulness so that it looks like folly to the world and glory to those who are saved.